I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast. David Wilson used college as a path out of poverty. Now, as the president of Morgan State University, he wants that to be the reality for other children, too. But for so many kids today, getting to college and paying for college is a challenge. After 25 years in higher education leadership, President Wilson grapples with issues of access for students and how higher education might change to better support everyone. I talked with President Wilson about this when he came to town to address higher ed leaders at the Institute of Educational Management. He shared his thoughts about the future of higher education and why we are in such a pivotal moment to change it. We are in, in my view, uh, the most radical period of transformation in higher ed Mm -hmm. in my lifetime. And institutions, particularly uh, small, elite, private, liberal arts institutions, are really struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, But many of um, higher ed institutions overall are being challenged. And we are being challenged to rethink some of our academic degree programs, to rethink the relevancy of those programs Mm -hmm. in light of what the country now is saying that it is looking for in terms of graduates coming out of our institutions ready for innovation, Mm -hmm. uh, ready to lead in a different kind of way. And so the traditional academic degrees that we have offered are being challenged. And we have to think more multidisciplinary. We have to think now about new degrees at a certain level of intersectionality. It's where philosophy crosses science, where mm-hmm. history crosses philosophy and science and engineering. And so right at that intersection is where the new knowledge is and is where employers and others are saying, these are the skills that we want in our employees And these are the skills that give rise to the creation of big ideas and more innovation. So what we are seeing is that some of the institutions are not moving fast enough to uh, bring online uh, some of these new degrees, be they degrees in data science or artificial intelligence, cloud computing. And then how do you do that? By preserving aspects of the liberal arts. Mm -hmm. And that's a discussion that we must continue to have and we must come out on the other end uh, with a higher ed model uh, that will still be true to what higher ed has traditionally been in the United States, which is still you know, the model of the world. And at the same time, how do we imbue our graduates now with the skills that are needed for the new economy and the new world? I think that is indeed the challenge. And at Morgan, we are undergoing this as well in implementing new academic degree programs. We are thinking, um, bringing online now, one-year master's programs, thinking about many BS programs where students don't necessarily have to come for four years to get the baccalaureate degree, then how do you connect more with high schools? So you create opportunities where students can accumulate 30 credits or so of college before they even finish high school. So when they get to quote unquote campus, you can almost shave off an entire year 
of their college-going experience. And what that means, especially for the institutions that have high tuition, is that parents could save fifty dollars to $100,000 because they don't have to pay that additional year of college. We have to think more about what I call credit for prior learning and stackable credentials, where we have so many students now that are swirling. You know, they start out at a community college back home. They take three or four credits there. Then they move to a certificate program. and They get a certificate over here. Then they move someplace. And so all of a sudden now, they're like 25 or 26. They have accumulated 30 or 40 college credits, but they have two or three certificates along the way, and they show up on our campus wanting now to get the baccalaureate degree. How do we assess what they have learned already? How do we bring value to those certificates that they possess, Mm -hmm. award them college credits? And so now they have 60 college credits to their name. They can get their baccalaureate degree in two years. This is the kind of thinking that we must embrace in higher ed going forward, else uh, we're not going to be in a good place in about 15 to 20 years. Right. I mean, that's a lot of change. Is that what you, 10 years from now? Yes. Do you just think higher ed's landscape's going to look entirely different? I really do. You know, 10 years or so ago, I would not have been as certain about it. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, now, yes, I think I've seen so much change mm-hmm. um, and it's not going back. I'm just making my way through Jeffrey uh, Salingo's book. I think it's uh, Life After College. And the survey data that he went over from his book was very, very arresting. As I recall, one of the slides there he looked at, he asked a question of Generation X, the 18 to 22 year olds who were in college. Mm-hmm. And the question was, how do you get your content while you're in college? And I think at the time, uh, it was like 10 years ago, 75 to 80 percent of them said from their professor. And then he asked that same question to the millennials. And it was like 60 to 70 percent of them said YouTube. (laughs) And then he further disentangled that and indicated that many of the students would go to class, let's say a biology class, and they're in this lecture on campus, and the professor is lecturing on a topic, they are not necessarily understanding the material in the class. And so they Google that material in the class on YouTube. They pull up a lecture that some Mm -hmm. professor at another institution is giving on that same subject, and that is what they are watching while they are sitting in the biology class. So our students are gaining content from spaces other than just professors on our campuses. And we're going to have to create, I think, climates and environments on our campuses to understand that we can't put the technology back in the bag. Do you think we're getting anything right in higher ed? I, I do. I see real examples every single day of institutions that are providing opportunities for first-gens, first-generation college-going students. I still think higher ed is the best way to generate generational mobility, intergenerational mobility, and to take individuals from various points in the socioeconomic sphere and move them to higher levels there. I think HBCUs are doing a remarkable job of still enrolling 30 to 35 percent of first-time college-going students mm-hmm. and graduating those students and sending those students on to some of the top 
graduate schools in the country and great professions. I see the same thing among other minority-serving institutions, uh, Hispanic-serving institutions, Native American-serving institutions, and Asia-specific-serving institutions as well. So I do think we're getting that right. One of the things that worries me is the cost. Right. With many of the students that we are serving at Morgan and at institutions similar to Morgan, they are coming from families making $50,000 a year or less. I think about 35% of my students are in that category. And so they don't really have the resources to enable them to get through college without accumulating a lot of loans. And so in this area, we find ourselves in a similar space as many other institutions. We try and keep tuition low and the overall cost low But we can't go too low because we want to keep the quality high. Therein lies the challenge, if you will. And so the average student at Morgan is graduating now with about $30,000 in loan debt. um, Mm -hmm. And it takes them a while to begin to repay that once they finish our tuition in-state. The total cost of attendance is about $25,000 with room and board and all the fees. But you have some institutions that are charging, oh, Forty-five, fifty thousand dollars in tuition, and parents are making a calculation as to whether they want to pay that amount for their son or daughter to go to major in a discipline that, in their minds, in the minds of the parents, won't lead them to the kind of intergenerational mobility right. as another discipline would, perhaps at a different type of institution at a lower cost. And therein lies the conundrum for higher ed. How do we figure that out where we don't end up with a set of extremely elite, well-endowed institutions that are pretty much enrolling students who are coming from the upper 5 10% mm-hmm. of the wealth in the country, and they can go to these institutions and major in whatever they want. Because mm-hmm. the parents still view education for the common good. And those individuals most likely then end up in the leadership roles mm-hmm. where we have another set of institutions that are less resource endowed. And the students who are going there are being directed not to go into some of these disciplines that create the foundation for deep analytical thought and bold idea formation. And then they end up kind of becoming the working class. Mm -hmm. These are some emerging discussions that I think we'll see more of as we go along. I think they have to be carefully conducted, but I think they are urgently needed. It seems so complex. It almost seems impossible to solve it, the price of college. There's room for public policy around this to be seriously rethought. And I am hearing some uh, creative ideas uh, from some of the presidential candidates. I do think at the end of the day, the United States should have some version in public policy where college is free for Mm -hmm. students who are coming from families making a certain amount of money and below. And then the rest of the costs uh, should be based on ability to pay. 
But if we don't think like that and we see what I call the browning of America and as America becomes browner and browner, it is also becoming poor and poor. And so the populations in the United States that are growing and will be the majority of populations in the country are also the populations with the fewest resources. And those are the populations that we as a country have to educate. Else, where will the United States be in 25 or 30 years when that population now is in its 30s and 40s and they have been shut out of higher ed and they are not poised to be the leaders mm-hmm. in the country? And so I certainly have called upon philanthropists um, to make major investments in institutions that have long histories of taking populations like that where they are, giving them everything they need to be successful and moving them into the middle class. I do think that institutions uh, such as uh, my own institution and scores of others like it are poised to play this kind of role at a modest cost. How often when you do meet with students at your own institution does the cost come up? Practically every meeting. As a matter of fact, I received, I don't know, 10 emails this morning because this is a registration time and students are getting ready now to come back to the campus for the fall. They don't have all their money together. Uh, And some of these emails would bring tears to your eyes because the students are pouring out all of their challenges. You know, they've had a death in the family or their mom or dad has been laid off and, you know, the house has been repossessed and and just go on and on. And they need $10,000 or they need $5,000 and uh, they're coming into their junior year or they're coming into their senior year. And if they don't get this money, they won't be able to to come back. So I hear this every single day in my role as president of Morgan State University. We have an operating budget of about $270 million, and I reallocate to student financial aid more than any other institution in the state of Maryland, any other public institution. And so I'm reallocating back, I think it's about 25 to $30 million every year so we can help students stay in school. But absent that, we would have many, many promising students uh, drop out and stay out. What do you do when you're a student who's in a situation financially that's making you question whether to pursue your degree or continue? How do we keep those kids there? What we try and do is to, first of all, put before each of these students a list of possible places where they can apply Mm -hmm. for financial assistance. We start with the state of Maryland, uh, and each senator in the state of Maryland, each state senator, is given a state allocation that they can use to assist students to uh, stay in school. Students typically are not aware of it, and so we send them to their local uh, senator if the person is from the state of Maryland, and then we send them also other list of possible scholarship opportunities. And then um, what I would say as well is um, send letters to your uh, director of financial aid on the campuses. 
I shouldn't say this, but copy <laughs> your president. <laughs> Make sure that your president or chancellor is aware of what your financial need uh, is. And don't give up. Check with your you know, local churches if um, that is a possibility for you, uh, other social groups and civic groups in the area. So we try and point them in so many different directions to try to come up with what they need. And that is really what I would say to other students who are listening, who are uh, experiencing similar circumstances. Don't give up. Do not give up. If you are already enrolled and you're having financial challenges, make those challenges known to the administration of the institution. Make appointments, go in, be respectful, show what your situation is. And I think in 80% of the cases, an institution will try to do everything that it can to meet you at some point that would be reasonable. Well, thank you very much for coming in and talking with me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. David Wilson is the president of Morgan State University in Baltimore. I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast produced by the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thanks for listening.